All right, so John 3.16, and, and I'll be using the ESV tonight, so if it's a little different than what you memorized as a child, that's probably why. Um, but John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then Matthew 6.33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And then Genesis 45, verse 5 says, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves. And sorry, this is uh, Joseph speaking to his brothers for context. Uh, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. And then we'll skip down to verse 7, which says, And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. And from these seemingly unrelated verses, I give you my title for tonight's message, The Price is Right. Pastor, would you pray? Pastor. So who here has ever seen The Price is Right? All right, good amount. It's a fantastic show. Uh, It was one of my great-grandparents' favorite shows growing up, and at 11 o'clock on a weekday, The Price is Right was on. And Bob Barker, who passed away last week, um, what, you know, was the original host, and, and now they got that Drew Carey guy on there. But, you know, the premise of this show is that If you guess the right prices, you know, the price is right, um, and get a little lucky spinning a wheel, you can win a whole lot of stuff. And also convinces everybody who watches it that they could go on there and win. Uh, I know as a kid, I was like, oh, yeah, I I know the price of that random thing that's in the grocery store. I see it all the time. Um, But haven't gotten the nerve up to actually go. But um, so at at its heart, it's a lighthearted show that rewards consumer knowledge. Um, Now, the deeper meaning you know, is it's kind of materialistic in a way, you know, that your reward is more stuff and that you can tell who wins by who gets the most stuff, which fits in well with American consumer culture. Um, and I'm not trying to preach against the prices right. Um, that's not the point of, of what I'm trying to say. But um, this is the exact opposite of what God did for us. God gave up everything just to know you and me and to be able to spend eternity with us. So for him, the price of everything for our love, the price was right. So this is where our first scripture comes in tonight, uh, John three sixteen. you know, that God gave his only begotten son so that anybody who believes in him could have eternal life. And not only did Jesus have to die for our sins, but it was a humiliating death, one deserving of a scoundrel but instead given to our Savior. And this was first prophesied in Isaiah chapter 53, and we're going to read through that, starting in verse 3. It says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he was borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. 
but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. And then Matthew chapter 27, verse, starting in verse 26, tells us what actually happened. It says, Then he, being Pilate, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, this was with a, a lead-tipped whip. This was not a fun experience to be scourged. Uh, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand, and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. Now, there's a song that we sing that says, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. And, you know, there are shows and movies that do a pretty good job of depicting it, but I just can't imagine what it would have been like to see Jesus beaten for my sins, to take the punishment that I deserve upon him. I hope this encourages you, that no matter how you feel about yourself or no matter what you think your value is, God sees your value equal to the most precious element in the universe, the blood of Jesus, the most powerful, wonder-working element. You were bought and redeemed for a price, and that price is the blood of Jesus. So no matter how you feel about yourself, that's how God feels, and he's always right. He thought you were worth saving, keeping, and dying for. Even in your darkest moments, that's what God died for. And I know that this applies to all of us because Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But then there's hope because in Romans 5 it says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So when Jesus was on the cross being unjustly crucified between two thieves, he was looking to your worst mistake and choosing to take the punishment. You know, it says the wages of sin is death. So what you, when you sin, you earn death. When we sin, we earn death. But God took that earnings and died so we don't have to. One of the better examples of this in Scripture is the parable of the prodigal son. And I know that, that most people will be familiar with this, so I won't read all the way through it. I'll just paraphrase the first half. But, you know, there's a younger son who doesn't want to wait for his inheritance, and so he takes it from his father, goes to a faraway land, and spends it on reckless living. And then he wastes it all and gets nothing in return. And there's a point there, is that the world will take everything you have 
and then give you nothing in return. Every time. It, 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 every time. And so then he runs out of stuff, and then there's a famine, so he goes and works for this guy, helping with the pigs, and the pigs have it better than he does. And so he, and there's plenty of symbolism there of being in the mud and hanging out with pigs, but I won't get into that tonight. But he has a come-to-himself moment, and he realizes that the servants at his father's house have it better than he does. And so he's like, I'm going go to my, I'm gonna go to my dad, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to apologize and say, I'm not worthy to be your son, but just let me be a servant. And so he arises and he goes, and I can imagine the entire walk there, he's just rehearsing in his head, probably dreading seeing his dad. So he's going to be mad at me. He might not even want to talk to me. Who knows? I mean, he has, no, has had no connection with his dad. But, and we'll start in verse 20. Sorry, Matthew. Um, I gave you all that, but we'll start in 20. It says, and he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father completely ignores him and says to the servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. So this son was deserving of nothing. Rebuke, scorn, punishment, disownment. I mean, maybe he could have been a servant if the father was feeling nice. He had brought shame and humiliation to his family's good name. He had wasted the gifts, the talents, and the resources that his father had given him. But instead of disowning him, his father gave him the best he had to offer. Compassion, a loving embrace and kiss, and clothes belonging to someone who is loved. So though we deserve eternal death in a fiery hell, Jesus gave everything he had for us to spend eternity as his bride. So it makes sense that in return, we would be willing to do the same, right? That we would be willing to do whatever it takes to live for God. That whatever the price may be, the price is right. So as encouraging as the first part of that message might have been, and I hope it was, this next part is not going to be. Um, And so I hope it is both convicting and motivating. Because now I'm going to talk about the price of living holy, of our feeble attempt to match what God did for us on the cross. The bottom line, and if you get anything tonight, is that living for God should cost us something. It always has been that way. From the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they could have any tree except one, and that was their cost. And they determined that it wasn't worth it, that the cost of not eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil just wasn't worth it for them. Abraham had a cost to go, and then he had a promise of a son that he had to wait decades for. And then he finally got that son, and then Jesus told him to sacrifice his son. 
Abraham's a better man than I am because it would have been really hard for me to do that. You know, God, you've promised me this. I've worked on this. I tried it my own way and it didn't work. And now I've got this son that you promised me. This is how I'm going to have all my descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And now I'm supposed to sacrifice him. But he does. Abraham takes Isaac, takes him up the mountain, lays him on the altar, binds him there, and has the knife in his hand ready to kill his son. And then, as we'll read in Genesis 22:12, God says, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham knew what it meant to cost something. The Israelites after they were taken out of Egypt and in the wilderness and becoming the promised people, they had laws. That's what Leviticus is, all those laws that they had to follow. They had a cost to be God's blessed and chosen people. You have the rich young ruler who had done everything right. He had followed all the commandments and all the laws, but God asked him to give up his riches, and that cost was too much for him to swallow. And then we talk about Jesus's ministry. Now, Jesus is often portrayed as a meek and gentle person, and he was, and that's something that we should emulate. But his message was not easy. Jesus did not preach an easy message. And we'll read this in Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. It says, now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, All who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And in another place in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 23, it says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? See, a lot of people wanted to be with Jesus. He was charismatic. He was performing miracles. A lot of times he gave out free lunch. And so, you know, free food, free miracles, free entertainment. Jesus was the place to be. And so we, as it said at the first verse, it says, now great crowds accompanied him. But it also says multiple places in the gospel that people walked away from Jesus because it was a hard saying for them to follow. This life we are called to is not an easy one. Said another way, 
If your walk with God is easy and doesn't cost you anything, it needs some re-examining. So, Reverend Ross, or Brother Stephen, as known to most of y'all, I like to call him Reverend Ross, uh, we were talking on the way back from NAYC, and Deacon Ross, there you go. <laughs> uh, we, we were talking on the way back from NAYC and just kind of reminiscing over a lot of the things that were said and in those, you know, life-changing services. And we kind of got on this subject, and uh, we came up with an analogy that, that I want to share with y'all tonight, which I think is pretty cool. And y'all might not, but I have the mic, so y'all get to hear it. Um, so I call it the Netflix analogy. All right, so, um, so Netflix has undergone a lot of changes recently, and I'm not going to talk about that. But they've, they have three new plans that you can subscribe to Netflix. And so it starts with the standard with ads version, which means you have to watch ads to watch it. And you don't get all the content that's available. And you don't get the best quality. It's just full HD. And you can only watch on two devices. And then there's another one in the middle, but I'll talk about the premium option. It's unlimited ad-free movies, TV shows, and mobile games. You can watch on four devices at a time. You can watch in Ultra HD. You can download on six supported devices. You can add two extra members who don't live with you, and you get spatial audio. Sounds pretty cool. And Netflix didn't pay me to be up here. so. Um, but if you were just looking at those two, you would say, I want the premium version. If I want to get the best out of Netflix, that sounds like the best option to me. So why doesn't everybody do it? Because of the cost. And they look at that premium being $19.99 a month, and they're like, I just can't swallow that. You know, inflation's real, groceries are more expensive. You know, maybe I'll just settle for the standard version. I mean, I lose a few things and I save a little money. Or really, maybe I'll just settle for the standard with ads version and maybe have to deal with some extra distractions and maybe not have it all accessible at my fingertips like I could because it's just so cheap. It's only $6.99 a month. Or maybe I just don't have Netflix at all because what it has to offer isn't worth it to me. And so it's the same thing in our walk with God. If you told people all that they could get in a walk with God, the joy unspeakable, the peace that passes all understanding, the unconditional love, the healings and the miracles and the signs and the wonders, the comfort and the hope knowing that we have eternity to look forward to, who wouldn't sign up for that? I mean, honestly, who wouldn't sign up for all the things that walking with God has to offer? But then you tell them the cost. And you tell them what it means to walk with God. And a lot of times people decide to settle. They could have the premium walk, but instead they maybe just have the standard walk and miss out on a few things. And they're okay with that because they're saving time, effort, crucifying their flesh. Or sometimes they, they'll go down to the standard with ads option. They're like, you know, maybe I have to deal with distractions because I just don't want the cost. 
and then sometimes they just decide they don't want it at all, that they'd rather live this life without Jesus because of the cost involved. So what are you saying no to? What are you giving up? Are you truly denying yourself, dying daily, bearing your cross, and following him? The world doesn't need us to be comfortable Christians. It needs us to be consecrated Christians. The personal, regional, national, and global revival that is on its way right now will only come to those willing to give everything they have to Jesus. To get practical, that means saying no to screen time. And I get convicted every Sunday morning when that screen time notification pops up and I'm doing media at church and I'm like, how, how did I spend that much time on my phone? I didn't, I thought I was doing good. But it says, it means saying no to that. It says no to fun events that sound good and, and don't, and maybe even be harmless, but are causing us to miss out on what God has for us. It means saying no to wasting time and money on temporal things so that we can be a willing vessel for God to move through. Because God loves using empty things. Jordan and I were watching The Chosen last night, and I know we're behind, but we're catching up. Um, and, and last night's episode was talking about Peter. And I know a lot of that was dramatized and didn't actually happen in the scripture, but just go with me for a moment. So, so Peter has tried everything. He's tried fishing at night. He's tried fishing on the Sabbath. He's tried betraying his fellow Jewish brethren, and nothing has worked. And he ends up with an empty boat and an empty net, preparing to be handed over to the Roman authorities. But God. Jesus just so happens to be preaching at that exact spot that Peter pulls up on the shore, and without Peter's real permission, gets in the boat and starts preaching, and then tells Peter, who's a fisherman, and Jesus was not, how to fish. And uh, it would have been really easy for Peter to say, you have no idea what you're talking about, and you seem cool, but no. I've tried all night, and I've got an empty net. But nevertheless, at thy word, Peter casts the net, and he is not able to pull it up. He has to call his brother and their friends, and suddenly he has a full net that turns into a full boat. If he had had a full boat, would there have been room for Jesus? If he had had a full net of fish, would he have really wanted what Jesus had to offer? If you're too full on the things of this world, God can't use you. And there's nothing in this world too good worth going to hell over. So there's a reason that we say no to things that might seem crazy and might seem weird. There's a reason that we only wear certain things and only say certain things, and only listen to certain things, and only watch certain things, and only go to certain things because of the benefits. 
the cost, the price is right. And so now we make our way to the last section of this message. So remember I had those three verses at the beginning and and they probably didn't make a lot of sense because they didn't really follow any theme. But I hope you've kind of figured that John 3.16 for the first one. And then Matthew 6.33 to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness above all else. And so now we'll get to the last one, Genesis 45. Um, this story, um, where we'll hop in at Genesis 45, this is the dramatic climax to the end of Joseph's story. Um, actually, my first message was preached on Joseph, and I'm not going to go into all that tonight because we got places. But um, I love Joseph. There's, I could talk about Joseph all night, but I'm not going to because there's something that I want to get to. So Joseph, um, I like to sum up his story with the five Ps, pride to pit to Potiphar to prison to palace. And he's, over, he's, he's undergone all those and has had life happen to him. And, and uh, he's had his brothers come and remind him of his past. And he sent them on all these tests and pushed them through all these hoops and loops. And eventually, he sees a change in them. And so he reveals himself. And his brothers get terrified, like pee-in-your-pants scared of what Joseph is going to do to them. Because they can only imagine, he's been thinking about this for decades, that they beat him up, pushed him into a pit, sold him into slavery, and then told his told their father that he was dead. But Joseph doesn't feel that way. And as we'll read in verse chapter 5, he says, and, do not, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. And then in verse 7, he repeat, or reiterates and says, and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors. Everything Joseph went through was to save his family. And honestly, his world, because if he had given up at any point after he was beaten up or thrown into a pit or sold into slavery or lied upon or thrown into prison or forgotten about in prison, at any point, people would have died. Like, literally died. Not, like, oh, they would have died. Like, literally died. Um, the famine that ravaged that region would have been catastrophic. And that's the same consequences that face us today. Our friends, our families, our loved ones, our coworkers, and just random people all around us are counting on us to endure so that we can help them find Jesus and they can be saved. Another um, example of this in Scripture is the story of Job. And I know this is another one that, that we're probably all familiar with. Um, but I want to highlight one point right at the end of Job. Um, now I'll summarize real quick. Job was a really good dude, and the devil thought he wasn't, and so God let him test Job, and Job lost everything. He lost his wealth, 
and then he lost his family, and then he lost his health. And he has a wife telling him to curse God and die, and he has supposed friends telling him that he's really not that good of a dude and that he brought them on, brought all this on himself. But Job didn't give up. And sure, he had questions, and you can read all about it in the 42 chapters of Job, but he never gave up on God. And so eventually, God vindicates him and says, Job, you were right. And, but after he was vindicated, he still hadn't been fully restored. It was still just Job sitting around with his friends and in sackcloth and ashes. And we'll pick up this story in Job chapter 42, verse 8. And now this is God talking to Job's friends. And he says, Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. And then in verse 10, we see the, the ending of this little mini-story. It says, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before, or double for his trouble. Um, but that's not what I want to focus on. I want to focus on the fact that Job had friends that had hurt him, that had said things about him that weren't true, that insulted his character and insulted who he was as a person. And it would have been really easy for Job to say, well, they hurt me and I'm not going to pray for them anymore. I'm going to give up on them because of the hurt and the offense that they caused me. So I asked tonight, who have we stopped praying for? Who have we given up on because of something they said to us, something they said about us, or something they did to us? It's really easy to cast people aside. But they're counting on us. Even when they don't know it, they're counting on us to be the light in this dark world. And I'll, I'll, I'll have one more story for you all, and then, and then I'll bring this to a closing. So this last story is found in Mark chapter 2, and we'll start in verse chapter 1, and I'll just, or yeah, verse chapter 1, and I'll just read through this. But it says, and when he, being Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And then we'll skip down to verse 10. And this is, Jesus is talking to the scribes. Now he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, 
so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. I can imagine that it might have been embarrassing for his friends to wheel him up on the roof and let him down, and the people who were in the room get thrown straw and mud and clay and whatever else made up a roof at that time. I'm sure Dusty knows. Um, But, you know, it, it caused a scene for them to get their friend saved, for them to get their friend healed. And I'm sure that their pride wasn't feeling too good whenever they did this. You know, it could have been, it would have been really easy for them to see all those people and go, well, we tried. We got them close to Jesus, and that's all we can really do. And uh, I guess we'll just try again next week. We'll try again next Sunday. But Jesus was there. And they knew that when Jesus was there, that changes everything. And so they did whatever it took to get their friend. I mean, honestly, they're probably just tired of carrying him around all the time, and they're like, we got to get Jesus to heal him because we can't take this anymore. But no matter their motivation, it was what they did. They did whatever it took to see their friend saved. They put down pride. They put down potential embarrassment to see their loved one healed and saved. So as I come to a close tonight and musicians can make their way up here, I want to remind you of the questions that I've asked tonight. And believe me, I'm asking myself. And so when I ask these again, I'm going to ask myself, what am I saying no to? What am I giving up to walk with God? Am I really dying daily, denying myself, bearing my cross, and following him? Am I consecrated or am I comfortable? Am I empty or full? What am I willing to go through for my loved ones? I know this this wasn't an easy message to hear tonight. And... I know that everybody in this room has something to work on. There's some friend or some family member, some loved one, some coworker that is counting on us to be our best selves, to be consecrated, to be holy, to be as close to Jesus as we can be because that's what they need. They need us to be at our best. So as I open up these altars tonight, I have three requests for you. And you can stay at your seat. You can come down here. But I ask that you do these three things. One, I ask that we all repent. And tell God we're sorry. for falling short, for all have fallen short. And after we do that, and that could take you five seconds or five minutes, I don't know how long that's going to take, I then want you to ask God 
for what he would have you to do, what he would have you to say no to, what he would have you to give up. Maybe there are some apps on your phone that need to be deleted, some subscription services that need to be canceled, some plans that need to be changed. Because the time is nigh. And there are people in Winterville, people in Athens, that need us. We can't be distracted. We can't be discouraged. We can't be dismayed. But we need to be at our best. And so after that, after you do the second thing, I then want us to ask God for a person. For a face and a name that would pop up in our head. And maybe it's more than one. It'll probably be 30 for me, but for us to have a burden for them, to reach out to them, to text them, to call them, to pray for them, to invite them to church, family members that we never thought would walk back in a church, friends who have said things to us so horrible that they don't deserve for us to talk to them again but that need us. And so that's my ask of of us tonight, and and I'm going to do it right along with y'all. So first we're going to repent. We're going to ask God for a calling of what he would have us to do, what he would have us to say no to. And then we're going to ask God for a person. Maybe it's a family. Maybe it's a group of people that we are going to pray for, that we are going to ensure that they know that we love them. Because we have it. We have the secret recipe. We have the secret formula. And it's not a formula to get into heaven. But we, we hold the keys. The world is looking for what we have. They might not know it, but we have it. The validation that they're seeking, it's in God. The love that they're so desperately after is in God. The purpose, the calling, it's all in God. It's all in Him. And so they're looking for what we have, even if they don't know it, even if they're mean to you and say mean things about you and do mean things to you. They want what you have. So, I just want us to get that person or get those people in our head and to really visualize them and not just visualize them where they are, but visualize them here. Visualize them walking through those doors. Visualize them living a life for Jesus because they are. They're coming back. They're coming home. Family members, friends, loved ones, they're coming home. But they're not going to do it without us. And so, as I come to a final close tonight, that is my request for y'all. To consider the cost, to count the cost of what is being asked of you.
and to say yes.